Hey, this is Mark Altman. I'm here with your 430 Movie hosts. Steve Melching. Darren Dockerman. Ashley Miller. And if you enjoy listening to the 430 Movie, you'll love watching us on Electric Now. Electric Now is available on Stir, Zumo, and Distro TV apps and coming soon to the Electric Now app. So check us out. And it doesn't have to be 4.30. Any time of the day, we'll be there. Hey, if you want to watch a great podcast that none of us are on, check out Best Movies Never Made. Available every other Monday from screenwriter Josh Miller and producer Steven Scarlatta as they go behind the scenes of some of the greatest movies never made with fantastic guests like Steve Melching, Ashley Miller, and a lot of other people you have heard of. And not Darren Doctorman. Yet. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you'll be on the show. They just invited me to be on an episode about James Bond. I wonder why. Maybe it's because I have a new book out called Nobody Does It Better, The Oral History of James Bond, available now wherever you get your books. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Doctorman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And today is a very exciting show. I know I say that, and I'm <laughs> given to bouts of hyperbole, but it is truly exciting. Because we're going to talk about not only one of my favorite shows in the Star Trek oeuvre, but with one of my favorite characters. And I, I must say, my dad was just I mean, I, I mean, when I got him in the Deep Space Nine, he could not stop talking about our next guest. Just all the time, every time. It's like, what do you think of the episode? Well, I don't know about the episode, but you know who's great? And it's like, all the time. So anyway, um, I felt the same way, but I'm just saying, because I want to give a shout out to my my, my late father. So anyway, um, we're here with Joined Again by Returning Champion. They're a writer uh, of such films as Thor and X-Men First Class. He was also writer-producer on Fringe and uh, Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, Lore, Black Sails. Ashley Miller is back. Welcome back, Ash. Thank you for having me. And I'm not even going to talk about the new Netflix show because you can't. You're under a gag order. Can't say anything. <laughs> so I'm not going to say anything about the new Netflix show. You can't make me. You can't make me. There you go. Fantastic. It's always nice when the <laughs> network actually lets you talk about something. I know. So right? are you waiting to like, you know, LA screenings or when, when are they going to let you talk about it? Uh, ostensibly, well, uh, maybe, maybe in a month. Maybe by maybe. WonderCon. Maybe by WonderCon. Maybe. Okay. That's how we judge our thing. That's but right. okay. So now Ashley is not our special guest. Ashley is a guest. Our special, special guest is, uh, you know her from uh, as Major Akira Norris on um, Deep Space Nine. And uh, of course, from Working Girl, you know, you you think you may think of Sigourney Weaver, but you don't know, you don't remember how much we all loved Working Girl. Which you know, we could be, she could be doing Working Girl cruises. Well, that doesn't <laughs> sound right. Doesn't <laughs> sound right at all. No, no, I take that. Back. <laughs> You're not going to get Sandra Bullock on that. No way. <laughs> but they're coming for you. Yeah, they're coming for you. So Nana Visitor is here. So welcome. Thank you so welcome. much. We're, we're, it's great we're, to be here. Yeah. It's, look, we any chance we have to talk about Deep Space Nine, we always jump at because we're huge Deep Space Nine fans. And of course, you're not going to start the show by singing, which is we like because. I thought the documentary was, I thought it was really good, but... You just didn't like the singing. I didn't like the singing. I thought like singing. I, you know... I, I get I, it. I felt it <laughs> trivialized. Like, I think there's a really interesting story to tell about that show, which is, you know, how in its time it was undervalued and people are discovering it. And I, there's, a, there's a great story. Um, and uh, just to start it with, 
everybody's singing. I just, what? What? Why? Why? You're a tough audience, Mark. I am a tough audience. That's true. But let's talk about, let's go back, because you started in soaps, which is, people forget, maybe the hardest job. I mean, I'm not talking about, like, versus welding, you know, in a factory. (laughs) But the hardest job in Hollywood is working on soaps because you're constantly working, and the hours are crazy, and the amount of dialogue you have to memorize. And it, it really teaches you the craft in a way that, you know, maybe some acting classes aren't even going to. It certainly teaches you to think on your feet. And it is kind of like welding because you clock in, you clock mm. out. The hours are like uh, business hours. Yeah. Um, and the thing is the amount of dialogue and you have to get good at it. Mm-hmm. You just have to finally give up trying to cognitively hold on to the words and go, it's in there somewhere and you have to let go, which is a great lesson for all of it. That is the great lesson. You have to let go. And also it's not somewhere where it's like, I really want to talk to the writers and give them my notes on this. I don't really think this is right for my character. There's none of that. <laughs> no, because the only thing that was right for my character, I, I did the doctors. Almost every show I spent in a round bed with a doctor. Right. And that was it. That was all I did. I was the love scene of the show. So, uh, yeah, you don't move off of things very easily on a soap opera. It's like you've got your niche and you stick right. with it. But you also don't want to get pigeonholed in soaps because there, there are people who stay too long or become too good at it because there's a certain muscle for being in and, and, and then you're never able to make the jump to anything else. Well, that's true. It is a muscle and it is slightly different. It's like It's like the Star Trek world is a whole different muscle. It's like somewhere between Shakespeare and film work is where you have to hit the tone, mm. you know? You can't get hysterical every time you see a world explode because it's happening every week. Right. So, you know, you have to get, like, that Shakespearean place in your acting. So, yeah, you, you just have to keep doing different jobs. You know, that's so interesting. I, I remember when I was very, very young and interviewing Patrick Stewart, you know, I was talking about... Uh, it was trying to convey that idea of the Shakespearean actor. And I did it in a way that I think was probably not ideal, you know, because I think he thought somehow I was criticizing Shakespeare because I was equating the Shakespearean, uh, you know, quality of Shatner's operatic acting somehow. And and um, and I think he took it the wrong way. You know, I was in college. I mean, let's face it. But anyway, the point being, I think totally the, the point you make is a very good one in that there's a really fine line because you're doing technobabble, so there's a certain preciseness and there's a certain operatic quality to doing Star Trek, which is larger than life, but it can't be too big because then you know, becomes Irwin Allen. Yes. And, and and finding that... Comedy is very close to tragedy. Mm-hmm. It's just you amp it up a bit and it becomes comedy, so you have to be careful. Yeah. You have to be really careful that you maintain the dignity of the piece. So how did you find that Shakespearean place? Like when, when you would get a script and you would go through it, like how would you break it down? Well, for my character, because it was military, it was easier for me because I had... Uh, I was an archetype, kind of, to Mm -hmm. begin with. And the way I saw the world was so well-defined. And the fact that I would see people suffering, and it would be a political agenda for me. So right away, you're talking big thoughts. That right away takes you to that place. You're not talking about someone slighted you, you know, at at, at the PTA meeting. It's worlds being at risk and people that you love and, you know, ideas. Right. Now, I presume when you read for this, um, 
that you know it was a breakdown went out your agents uh, submitted you um and so i'm curious did you know much about the fact that this had originally been sort of conceived for michelle forbes and you know not at all i i knew nothing about it as a matter of fact when i got the sides I thought that they had uh, – I read it, and it said Major Kira, and I didn't think of Kira as being a female name, mm-hmm. and I thought it was a male role because it read that way, especially mm-hmm. you got to think back uh, 25-odd sure, years. Yeah. Um, it, it didn't – I thought, oh, this is a mistake, and I actually called my agents and said, this is a – no, it's a female role. It's like, what? I, because – one of the recent jobs I had done was playing the mother on a it it was I don't even think it was a pilot. I think it was a sizzle reel for a pilot mm-hmm. called Cats, where I was the mother and the cat in the show spoke. But they didn't have any kind of cool way to make the cat talk. Hey. So it was basically it, it was basically cats for for TV, right. you know, the movie as yeah. big a bomb as that right, was. Right, yeah. So <laughs> it it really didn't work, and I was like, oh my god, I'm, you know, worried that the cat is on the sofa. That's what I'm do. That's my role here in this job, and it was painful to me. Painful things that I was auditioning for. So this was like, oh. right. And I remember I went out and bought the boots. I had just given birth to my first child and uh, bought the boots. And uh, that was it. I I wanted that role badly. Not since my mother the car had there been something as brilliant as cats. My mother the cat. You know, but I, I think oh. it's interesting that people forget. I mean, you know, look, you're, you're a working actress working in Hollywood through the 80s, you know, and and going, you know, you pretty much are hitting every big show, every zeitgeist show, you know, L.A. Law, 30-something, but, you know, you're the guest, and that's very different than having your own show. And that is great experience, too, for for being number one or number two on a call sheet. I think everyone should have that experience of being frozen out by a main cast (laughs) as a guest star. It's like, at a certain point, everyone gets so exhausted they don't care anymore. They don't have the energy to go, hi, welcome to the show. It's mm-hmm. just like, who are you? All right. Come on, let's go. Um, and you have to really, and I paid attention to that. I got a thick hide from that, which is good. Um, I got used to being like a plumber. It's like, okay, right. here I am. Right. I'm here to do a job. I'm yeah. going to do it. I'm going to fix your toilet and I'm out. Bye. You don't have to, you know, hug me goodbye. You don't hug your plumber goodbye. But I always Depends offer the them water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a certain kind of movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when I got Deep Space Nine, I thought, oh, I'm going to take care of guest stars as best I can because I know what that feels like. It's, you're working under the worst circumstances yeah. possible. Yeah. You know, you're just kind of in there fighting. And you're also fighting this perception because, let's face it, it was syndication and people who didn't know the show, it's, you know, it's sci-fi, it's like aliens with b- bumpy noses. and t- So if you don't know it, you think, okay, what well, it's I a paycheck. That? What is this? And then you realize, oh, wait, this is something special. And then you start to have people like Frank Langella that and Louise Fletcher. We started to get very fancy guest stars. Yeah. And that was an indication that we were going to stick around, number one, and that people were going, oh, this is interesting stuff. Um, the minute Frank Langella came on, I thought, oh, okay, all right, 
we we've arrived in some way here even though it was Level still <laughs> yeah even though it was always under the radar which yeah. served us well you know yeah. there wasn't a lot of people telling us what to do they didn't care right. <laughs> And isn't that the beauty of it? It's like it was the you, beauty. You know, you had a, a, ne- a network, a studio that didn't care. You yeah. know, a, a front office that didn't care. They were always, you know, chasing other things. The next show or the show before it. Right. But just after that premiere, they just sort of gave up on you, and you well, got to do right. your own thing. You're you're this weird show. Go on then, and it was great. And you got to occupy, I, I think, a very special niche even in that show which occupied a very special niche in Star Trek lore because you got to be the person who was inside but outside right you were surrounded by Starfleet officers but unlike say Quark or Odo you had to be Kira had to be a part of the chain of command um you know that Cisco had to be someone who is in your life in a way that that he was really a force of opposition so Kira uh, got to be the character who did the things that the audience didn't expect, that they never got to see on the next generation. So you got to do some of my favorite stuff, right? It's like you got to do Paradise. You know, I think it was Brian Keith, right? Yeah, I was just going to say. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. That was the most Kirkian thing that I had seen. Well, and then Harris Yulin yeah. later that season oh my in, God. Duet. in Duet. Yeah. Older men didn't do well with Kira. Did you notice no. that? They ended up stabbed or their houses were burned. or There, were, there was quite a few. It just didn't last with me. This but it's the danger of hanging out with yeah. it's, so, it's so interesting because after that big, expensive pilot that David Carson directed so well, uh, then you have sort of this clunky couple episodes, right? And they yep. can't really find what it is. You bring in Q from next year. But you really, what sold it, because progress, duet, you know, in the hands of profits, which are all very Kira-centric, that so it sold you on like, oh, wait, this show can be really good when they do it right. And then, you know, of course, it just gets better and better from there. But um, was there any sense, you know, of the work? Because when you're on a show and they're promoting the hell out of it and you're doing a gazillion interviews, you think, of course, it's going to work. It's Star Trek and everyone loves Star Trek. And But, you know, did you struggle with it early to think, oh, well, maybe these scripts aren't as good as I was hoping they'd be? Or Look, no. First of all. When you walked on the set, (laughs) you were enveloped in this world. There was no doubt that we were doing something really interesting and that the writers had such uh, a huge hold on the whole thing and such interest. Um, No, I I didn't have a doubt about that at all. Uh, But, you know, I I think there were laws passed because of our show uh, in terms of the amount of hours that crew and cast mm. spent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I never thought that I would get, you know, so I would change my opinion of getting overtime for, you know, less than 12-hour turnaround. But at a certain point, you go, I can't. You know, there's a madness that starts to set in. Right. And I thought that when you fell asleep at the wheel, you just got drowsy and decided, no, I'm going to sleep. It's not like that. You pass out. You literally just right. lose consciousness. And that's what happened to one of our crew members, and he oh, got God. killed. Mm. Yeah. So there were laws passed about how many. I remember doing a, I think it was the first year, a 20-hour day. Wow. 
Oh my yeah, God. people don't remember. This is a 26 episode season. This is not eight. Right. This is not right. ten. Right. I mean, we didn't it's recover. Insanity, right? And then you have yeah. what a month off before you have to come back for the next season. It was it was pretty crazy. I think it was more than a month, but barely. Right. And it didn't matter at that point because you were so shell shocked. You're, you know, I mean, from what we know about the brain and the way it starts to, and I've done a lot of study about it because it took me so many years to recover from this show. And what I realized is I spent so many hours thinking Kira's thoughts and being fearful and angry. My brain actually forms synapses. Sure. It, it, for her character and not mine. Right. And then my body started to respond that way. Without sleep, you're, you you can't get out of this character and this mood and you this You just energy. default to that. You yeah. just, you're in this loop. So that's a, a major fascination of mine now, how the brain responds to when you really go into like flow state acting. I'm not talking about, you know, telling the cat to get off the sofa right, kind right. of acting. Although that would be an awesome flow state. But, <laughs> Especially if you talked. I would just be petulant all the time. What are you doing on that couch? <laughs> I'd come home and be petulant. I'd come to work and be petulant. <laughs> That's so funny. I mean... And, and, you know, for the recurring actors, it was a little different because they would come in, they'd do a day, and then they'd be gone. To, but, I mean, you were part of, like, the, the big three. I mean, so you were almost always working. I mean, you know, Kira was like always that. in the, the center of it. Yeah. So there wasn't much downtime, you know. Not a lot. And, uh, and I had two children, mm. one during the run, which is, right. like, insanity. Oh, my God. But How did you even manage that? I don't. It, yeah. Amazing, right? Yeah. Well, with a fellow cast member. That, right. Oh, you didn't mean that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see. When, when, when two hey, people love each other very much. When did you have time? <laughs> <laughs> having, having, having been through a couple of pregnancies, I wasn't pregnant myself. Uh, but but just, you go through them all the oh, same. Yeah, and 20-hour days being mm. pregnant. But I want to ask you about oh that because God. I know a lot of times, especially in the 80s and early 90s, if an actor gets pregnant on a show. Oh, well, I thought I was going to be fired uh, for sure you know for because, sure i mean it happened to charisma on buffy it's happened to a lot of actresses and only in sci-fi it's like oh we'll have her carry o'brien's baby to turn i mean only it, brilliant right yeah. only in sci-fi and that dr bashir who was my husband is the one who is responsible for the transfer it was, yeah. it was all very well handled it With also, a wink at the audience. It right. also shows how much they valued you as a part of that ensemble because a lot of the other actors would be like shown the door, right? I mean, look how they treated Terry at the end. I Well, you know, I know Hunter Tylo, I think, was one of the first actresses who who uh, kicked up a fuss about being, right? right? Am I, I so. correct? I think so. About being pregnant and being let go from a show. So that was fresh in my mind. I was sure it was going to happen. And uh, it was tough to do that show and have a three-year-old and be pregnant. Right. Oh, my God. And you're the woman of action Just, on the show. And be the woman right. of action. Yeah. And they're, they're putting me in, you know, skin tight. Right, sure. And, but it's like, well, you know what? And I had to make these decisions. It's like, yeah, this is what pregnancy looks like for me. Some people come back and we see those people that not me. I gained 60 pounds. Here it is. Right. We'll, we'll slowly watch it come off together. That's just the way it was. I couldn't have an ego about that. Sure. Well, and I mean, you said it yourself. I mean, it is at that time, you know, TV presented women in a certain way. And of course, 
you know, Rick yep. and that guy really leaned into it. So you're wearing very unforgiving, you know, outfits from the beginning. Oh my God, yes. Yep. And, and uh, it's just, it's just, it's just crazy. So when, when did it start of, you know, how soon into the run did it sort of become clear that, like, this isn't quite catching on the way the other shows did? There's sort of like, uh, you know, this, this, I mean, of course, thank God the internet wasn't around the way it is now. Because, right. I mean, look at whether you hate Discovery or love Discovery. I mean, you look at the kind of interesting, you know, warfare that's going on between fans. It's kind of like the Democratic primary, right? And, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> so I can imagine. I just wonder, you know, what was, what was it, you know, like at that time? Because you want to be loved. Any actor wants to be loved, right? A lot of us came from Broadway mm-hmm. where you've got, you know, they put the notice up on the on the call where the call sheet is backstage and you got two weeks you got you got two more weeks of employment and you're moving on and so we all kind a lot of us had that it was like well we got two shows at least before they pull the plug who knows right you know i i was on what show was that when aaron spelling came on the show and pulled the plug i was doing it it wasn't the no. Colbys. I, it was Hotel. Oh. oh and right. I was doing a guest shot, and he came in and pulled the plug right then and there. Wow. Boom. Like a literal plug. Good thing I'm on a weekly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, it happens. Yeah. It could happen to us. So we yeah. had that. A lot of us, anyway, had the mentality. I, yeah, Armin Shimmerman and I used to go, well, uh, how much longer? You think the rest of the year? And go, yeah, I think right. we got the rest of the year. But we never took it as a given that we were getting the next season. At what point did you start having contact with the fans of the show? Did you start going to conventions? or? I went to a convention, and that happened pretty soon. And I had no concept of what that would be like. Right. None. And yet it was incredibly important to me to understand what it meant to them. Right. It That was part of the loop that I had been missing. I mean, I was told it. Sure. But there's something way different when you're signing autographs and an old woman goes and she's got numbers right. and goes, your part means something to me. Wow. What you do. It's like... Now she's in my heart. She mm-hmm. can't come out, and I'm going on set. And no matter what's going on in my life, drop it. This is for you, yeah. and you, and you, and all the, all the stories that I got from all these people. You know, because that's really what they want. They don't want to see me. They want me. This is how I see it anyway. They want me to see them. Right. Hmm. Yes. And that completes something for them, and so I do. Mm. And that's a, that. I'll tell you, I'm I'm never more psychically exhausted than sure. after being with fans like that. Well, but you're somebody who gives something back. There are certain actors where it's just sign and gone. You know, do, doing the that's this, a whole different yeah, thing. But you, I, you, the fact that you, I think you, I've never heard a better description of interacting with the fans than you just gave, which is that they're looking for you to see them rather than them right, because to they've meet been you. watching you all along. Yeah, that's I, really I interesting. I have to tell you that in I want to say I can't remember if it was 94 or 95, I went to a convention that you did. I think it was in Southern Maryland. And I met you. You were like one of the few actors in Star Trek that I actually stood in line to get an autograph. Oh I didn't God. even stand in line for Shat. Oh, my line God. Was like, 
crazy and insane and, and he was very <laughs> but uh no i i met you and like shook your hand and the thing that struck me was that you shook everybody's hand and you mm. looked them in the eye and like gave everybody a moment and it was just unlike like i you know got george decay's autograph george decay was like oh all right you know and just <laughs> off you go and just very different so Oh, I'm glad you had that experience. That's good. Yeah. That's good. No, that is what – otherwise, why do it? Yeah. What, what's the piece of paper? I don't think that's what it is. That's right. Uh, I, I think it's that. It's, yeah. And then unbelievable things happen. Like one guy was in line with his computer, and I thought, he's done something that's like DS9 or something, and he wants me to see it. And he had his kids with him. And sure enough, he opened his computer – it was, we were near Washington. I'm not sure where we were. He opened his computer and showed me something landing on a planet. And I said, my God, those special, that's inc- what you did here is incredible. He said, no, I landed that on Mars. Oh, <laughs> so it really was incredible. Oh, God, that's amazing. It's, yeah. it's insane. Is, it's insane. I'll tell you my, my, my story, too, since we're, okay. we're diving deep into it, it, was, it, was, it was like, my, you know, my dad was sick with cancer. He came to visit me, and I said, you know, we're looking for things to do. And I'm like, you, you want to go see the Star Trek sets? He says, well, how are you going to get on? I said, trust me. It did before 9-11. I said, trust me. I'll talk my way on. It'll be fine. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah. So he says, okay, only if I get to meet Nana Visitor. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, and I'm like well, I can't guarantee that, but the Deep Space Nine sets are pretty awesome, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we see. So we go, and, you know, we're over at the, the Voyager, and I still have this picture really gaunt like on the set of the Voyager and Deep Space Nine was on location like the one day they're on location that day Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was it was it was it was so funny and I remember he was like aren't we gonna be in trouble I gave him a whole tour of the sets just we walked through as like I was a tour guide it was like Universal Studios I'm like oh, okay here's the bridge and here's there we were in it was and, incredible right yeah yeah the oh I mean, and the Deep Space Nine sets are amazing yeah. were amazing I still talk about the all the Star Trek sets. sets ever right like for a TV show level yeah. I yeah. mean they didn't shoot the second level that much but no. gorgeous oh. Gor- ama- amazing sets yeah yeah usually it was Jake and Nog hanging over the side or you know that's a Bajoran right. monk hanging over the <laughs> that's side right. that's <laughs> right <laughs> although the last shot of the show is right there mm. It's Jake and me. Right. It's it's so interesting because you know obviously the next generation cast has this certain relationship with they're very tight. All of them are very tight, and which is great for and them. And that's real. And that's it's so I real. know it's amazing that it's real. Yeah. And um, and uh, it doesn't happen on a lot of shows. Now on your show, while there's not the same sense of, of family amongst everyone, there are some very very tight relationships. And you know we talked about it before the show, obviously just how awful it was that, you know, Renee having passed recently, um, but, you know, Armin and you guys, and I mean, just this, these amazing deep relationships that will endure forever. That will endure forever. I mean, I I went to Renee's house last night and uh, watched the Oscars. My husband and I watched the Oscars with Judith, you know, so that uh, he'll never, I can't ever let go of him, you know. Yeah. I just can't. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, it's just always interesting to see how that show would duck right instead of going left. Any other show would go left. And go, I mean, even, you know, what happened, you know, with you and Odo, and I know there were times where it wasn't your favorite storyline, but it was surprising. It wasn't what it you was. would expect. Right, right. 
And Renee was such a wonderful romantic lead that it was it was such a great opportunity and weird. And I was not the typical, you know, love interest either. Not neither one of us was. So it was it was great. Because you look at something like, you know, with Vedic Brile, that's kind of what you would expect. And there were great storylines there, obviously. Um, but then, you know, you do this thing with Renee and it's just it's just so sweet. And yeah. how diff- the difficulty has even asking your character out on a date. I yeah. mean, um, and, and I think that's the well, joy look, the of Deep in Space a Nine. He lived in a <laughs> that's right. He didn't get out a lot. With the plumber. Just, with the plumber, <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know... When did it really dawn on you this was something special? It's really hard when you're on the inside looking out, you know, at a show because it's like you have a certain perspective. Um, but when did it dawn on you that like you were working on something, you know, really, really special? When I saw the pilot put mm. together, they sent it to me because I couldn't go to the. I was I had the flu, of course, you know, I was doing too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I saw the pilot, when I heard the music, it was I couldn't believe it. I thought it was beautiful. I became a huge fan of the show, very passionate. I I loved what we were doing. I thought it was so interesting and so different. And I had an opportunity to play a person that I just, I wouldn't get a chance to play anywhere else, you know, doing the the whole, the the whole, I mean... I had such a range that I could do from being a Cardassian to being the, the you know, intendant, all mm-hmm. different aspects. It's like, you know, what is it, 12 archetypes, whatever they are. Right. I almost got to do them all. Right. It was crazy. Right. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God, you mentioned the attendant. I mean, it's like you just looked like you were having so much fun doing those, those mirror, mirror universe now stories. Now, that's one place where you know you go into comedy very easily right. and I wanted to I wanted to push the envelope and and hopefully I didn't go over so that she had no sting to her I wanted her to be a scorpion yeah. I wanted her to be slightly foolish as people are who are narcissists but deadly as well See, I thought it was a classic femme fatale I mean it yeah. was like Joan Crawford I mean I just thought you were just doing you know Barbara Stanwyck it was just so much fun it was just you know all the even you know not all those episodes are great but you're great in all of them thank you, you know? I appreciate that I hope so I hope <laughs> I didn't push it but you know sometimes you're gonna miss it when you you just keep swinging right right yeah yeah no it's it's t- it's totally true um and then you know Obviously, you had a you had a very unique showrunner in Ira Ira Bear. I mean, Michael started and then Michael left to go to Michael stuff with Legend Which and everything. Which scared me to death when he left. Mm. I remember being at his house at a party and he said, "I'm leaving," and it was like, "Ah, then I don't want to do this anymore." And he said, "No, no, 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 no. You have no idea. Ira has always been behind your character. Mm. He is the one who has your character in your back." And I found that to be absolutely true. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Michael because, of course, Michael was such a sweet man. And, you know, people, because he died so young, he doesn't necessarily get a lot of the the accolade. You know, people think Star Trek, they think Gene Roddenberry, but it's like Michael did so much for that franchise, you know, with Next Generation and then what he created in Deep Space Nine. And And he was just such a sweet guy. I had such loyalty to him. When he asked me to do another show, I said yes. It was in New Mexico, and I 
hated New Mexico at first. (laughs) And it was like, it's Michael Pillar, and he's asking me, I'm going. I'm doing it. That's just the way it is. The funny thing is I ended up about a month into it going, I never want to leave New Mexico. (laughs) The land of entrapment. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) We should be doing nothing but Netflix shows because aren't they bringing everything to New Mexico? Are they? Pretty much everything. Yeah, yeah. and the the tax credit there is really good. Um, Yeah, so so then you go to work for Crazy Ira, and I say that with love because he's amazing. Blue hair. Yeah. He he, he can't fault us for calling him Crazy Ira. Um, And, of course, you work with him on Twilight Zone, right? Yeah, Um, exactly. So what was it like, you know, because this is somebody who sort of had an open door. There was, you know, a lot of... You know, showrunners and, and they don't want to hear anything from the actors. I mean, that was certainly the case on Next Generation early on. But you, you guys had a much different relationship with the writers. They would come to set, you know, which was verboten on Next Gen. Yeah. Um, talk. Can you talk a little bit about sort of working with them and sort of were you somebody who wanted to know more about where your character was going or just wanted to read in the scripts? And I had such. First of all, I had such respect for them, such incredible respect for these people that when I approached them, it you know, I chose my battles and I and I always backed down if they, it was like, oh, okay, all right, got it. But I tried, I fought when I thought my character needed it. It was rare. But Ira was as passionate as I was, even though he doesn't like to remember that now, <laughs> when we would get into it. Um, he was very passionate. I remember, you know, two New Yorkers going at it about a, a script point, especially, especially about me being lovers with Ducat. That was a big one. That mm-hmm. was like, I can't. Again, the woman with the with the numbers mm-hmm. on her wrist. Right. I couldn't for her sake. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's who was in my head. I can't do it. A, another Cardassian, great idea, great right. idea, but not. Not Casey Himmler. would have been yeah. good. Casey yeah. would have been a good uh, love relationship for Kira, but um, Casey Biggs. Yeah. So oh it becomes God. it becomes your mother, who had the affair with Ducat. I know. That was that was ve- and he told me, he told me in a way that was like gotcha. Mm-hmm. He said, "Okay, you're not having the affair, but." Your mother is, mm-hmm. and that's a tough Damn episode it. to watch. That's yeah. a tough episode. Yeah. And, Awful. Yeah. And boy, I tell you, I have to say, in the documentary, Mark does not come across well. <laughs> <laughs> and I love, look, I love oh, him. I God. think he's so great in the show, but oh my God. He is an incredible <laughs> actor. I felt so bad that they didn't edit out what they meant, what they said they were going to edit right. out. I understand why they didn't. It makes for interesting documentary filmmaking. <laughs> sure. But um, I felt bad about that. But. He's he was always look, he put on the scales and he became Ducat. Right. I put on the nose and I was Kira and in that energy between us, I couldn't stand him. Right. And he yeah. couldn't help, he's that kind of actor. He couldn't help to constantly be hey, mm-hmm. hey, let's do this scene in front of the stars. Because that's the kind of actor he is. He becomes Ducat and I became Kira and it's like, No, I'm sitting in this chair and we'll do the scene like this. Mm. And that's why you're the strongest Trek cast. I mean, you, mm-hmm. a lot of people come out of theater, and it's just it's pound for pound is the strongest Trek cast. And look, we all love the original; it's our favorite. But you, you're the best cast, there's no question. I appreciate and, that. And 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 um, so, 
you know, I would ask you also is if this is an apocryphal story, and I don't know if you'll even remember it. I think it's Rick who tells the story. That there's one day in the rain where you slip down the stairs and are taken to the hospital, and the doctor, uh, you know what I'm talking about. You tell the story. It'll be much better than me telling the story. It uh, well. <sighs> It was just a little bit of rain, and it was iron stairs, and I had sneakers on, and I'd gotten my makeup done because that's how they wanted it. Do the makeup first, then change into your costume because uh, it was best for the sure. costume. And it, I opened the door to the makeup trailer and fell down the stairs and couldn't move. And I thought, here I am, finally got on a TV show, and I broke my back. And they took me to you know an urgent care place. And I'm sitting there in jeans and a shirt and um, my, my hair and makeup done. And I'm sitting there like this. And he, this young guy, he said, okay, so I hear you had a... Oh, my God, your nose! <laughs> <laughs> and he truly, for that moment, believed I had accordion my nose up. Wow. And I thought... How do I how do I talk to him about this without hurting his feelings terribly right. now? But I was like, no, the makeup really is amazing, right? But it is makeup. It's rubber. It's not it's not real. But the makeup was that good. <laughs> and I remember coming back and telling the other castmates, "You won't believe this. You won't believe this." That's how convincing. <laughs> and not to have gotten the Emmy for makeup. That's obscene. Yeah, really. <laughs> what do you think? Um, and and then, you know, as the show is, is going into its later seasons, I mean, did you kind of think, you know, having seen the previous shows go into movies and all that, that is there a future to this? Or did you kind of know, like, I mean, that this is, at least for the time being, going to be the end? There was no gray area. It was always, no, mm. we, never. It's never going to go anywhere. This right. is it. Never will be a movie. I never really understood why we weren't given explanations. Right. or it, It's just that's the way it was, and that's the way it was. So none of us expected it, ever. My, Michael talks a little bit, Michael Dorn talked a little bit when he was on the show about, you know, sort of the Cousin Oliver syndrome when he comes to Deep Space Nine on the fourth season. And it's like, oh, we're going to bring in this guy who's going to make the show popular. And, you know, that it, it, it's hard to be that guy who comes in and the rest of the cast is like, oh, we're so happy to have this guy who's going to make our show popular because we weren't good enough. Right. It, it And I found out about it from a question asked at a convention. Oh. How do you feel about Michael Dorn joining the show? Mm. And he was like, what? That's bad producing, because yeah. they should have been on the phone with each of you to tell you before yeah. it was public. No, we had no idea. Yeah. And, of course, I thought, ah, this is it. He's going to be number two, and I'm going to be pushed down to you know, delivering coffee to them. And that was my big worry. And when it didn't happen like that, it was, yeah. you know... We had a Christmas party that year, a huge Christmas party, and we had so much fun doing a film for Michael Dorn. Um, we had a, it was a it was a talent show. <laughs> weren't we doing enough but we made the writers do something they did a skit that was hysterical it was a game show uh, put the correct name with the correct writer because they were all about the same size and, and they all looked about the same and they looked the yeah. same yeah. I was one of the contestants I didn't get anyone right <laughs> it was horrible it was just horrible but so everyone did something so and Sadig 
and I did this film uh, where we went all we went to you know the head of Paramount TV. We went to uh, other actors. We went all over. We asked everyone, uh, "How do you feel about uh, you know?" It would be like, "How do you feel about Trump?" And they would say what they felt about Trump. But then in the film, we said we we filled that in with, how do you feel about Michael? Michael didn't deserve that kind of profanity. (laughs) (laughs) But it was great. It was great. And we'd ask, you know, how do you feel? So it looked like everyone was saying the most sincerely horrible things about Michael. So that's that's kind of how we christened him. We need to find this video. Yeah, Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) The one thing that's not on YouTube, right? Don't know where it went. I probably threw it out. You know, I go in the spring cleaning and the videotapes. I think I threw it out. But it was pretty funny. Oh, that's a shame. That's great. (laughs) Carrie McLuggage was on there going, well, I, you know, I can't stand him. He smells a bit. Because I think that was, (laughs) yeah, I think we, I think we may have asked him about Chewbacca. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was, it was great. It was Sid's idea. So how long did it take you or at what point did you realize that, oh, okay, I am completely safe in terms of my position on this show that Michael Dorn hasn't come in to supplant me? Or was that kind of a process of trusting That was a process, but enjoying Michael was pretty much immediate. That Mm -hmm. happened immediately. Because he's a big teddy bear. Yes, and just so wonderful. And he quickly became a regular at Sunday dinners because I love to cook. So he was there every Sunday. So it just, it at a certain point, all of that was like, it, and it didn't happen. Right. I, I didn't feel moved off from my character at all. No, because you're, they were telling just as many stories as they were before. Yeah. And it, it's amazing with that deep bench of uh, supporting characters that, you know, that you guys got serviced as much as you did because, oh my God. I mean, you know, to have... You know, Andrew and they have Casey and they have, you know, just, I mean, the list just goes on and on. I mean, yeah. so it's crazy. Yeah. And Jeffrey in 9,000 roles. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, and, and that, I mean, that's kind of the joy of that show, too. It's mm-hmm. just like, yeah. You know, that it's just so rich. Each one better than the next. Uh, they were such great actors. It was so fun to come to work. And it never felt like they were taking over the show. It always felt like everybody was kind of part of kind of one big tapestry, as it were. In that, it was like a theater company. Yeah. You know, this time you're doing the lead. This I'm I'm carrying the spear. It was great. I yeah. mean, I think that's the that's where we all felt comfortable. Yeah. And then you did a bunch of Family Guys also. So Seth, being a big Star Trek fan. Thank God, because <laughs> I wouldn't have missed that experience for anything. <laughs> to see him in a studio. I'd never seen Family Guy. I had no idea. I thought all the characters were done by different people. Mm. And the first time it, he read with me, we he, he read all the characters while I did my character. And to see him shift with not, no, it's like, who are you? <laughs> you're, you're the strangest, most talented person I've ever seen. It's wild to watch him. I you, loved it. Had you done voiceover work before that? or I'd done some, and I'd read books right. and done all that kind of stuff. But no. But in the end, it's not really different. It's the same thing, right? It, right. It, there's, there's a slight difference. It's, again, just a, a tonal shift, mm. an energy shift. 
And you'll never look like you accordion to your nose. And I'll never look like that. <laughs> and then yeah. you figured out who Ron Moore was finally. I finally figured <laughs> out. And you did a little guest uh, stint on Galactica. Oh my God. What was that? What was it that like? Was it first of all walking on the set? It was like, oh, I'm home. Right. I know what this is, and it was wonderful. And all the actors were wonderful. Um, it was a joy. It was a real joy. It was. It was like. Uh, I could do. I could have done that for a while. Yeah, because he, you know, it's it's interesting because I think Ron, he learned a lot about how to run a show and how not to run a show from his experience on Star Trek, you know. And so it seems like Galactic really benefited from all that, you know. And everyone to a fault who worked on that show just says it was this incredible experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were there were uh, Renee Shavaria was on Dark Angel, yep. and I did that as well, mm-hmm. and he was fantastic on that show. I mean, unfortunately, the the powers above that just yeah. were determined to take it another way. So that was another gift of Michael's. When you look at all these writers that came out of these shows, he and mentored that he mentored exactly really well. These really young people that he just taught the business and taught how to write, and you know, look at the shows that they've created and yeah. that they continue to run, and it's just amazing. Yeah, and that kind of propagated downwards. My uh, mentor was Robert Wolf. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. So I would not have the career that I have today if it weren't for Robert. If it weren't Right, because your first gig was on Andromeda. Yeah. God. And just hearing your credits at the top of this was like, oh my God. Oh, thank you. You just, I'm surprised you're not writing now. You've I written should be. so much. He is. I, I, he is. <laughs> it's, he checks got... out occasionally. That's why he doesn't ask more <laughs> questions. He's <laughs> sitting there writing while. <laughs> I'm not surprised. It's, it's God. It's incredible. But um, no, no, it's it, it's and you know it's so interesting because yeah, I know I'm sure at the convention people ask you they say, well now with CBS All Access doing 400 Star Trek shows, do you think they'd ever bring back Deep Space Nine? And I'm, I mean, your answer is going to be as valid as anyone else who the hell knows, right? I mean, it's like we can't, but couldn't call it, couldn't call it. The one thing that makes me so sad is in the documentary, the story they broke will never be. Oh, because wasn't it wonderful? Lost, because it was of Aaron. wonderful, but Aaron was in it, and Renee was in it, and mm-hmm. I guess Renee could shape shift to something else, but it would never it wouldn't be, be the right. same. I, don't, I can't see. I can't see it. You know, Ira ever allowing that because it's like it's it just feels you know Odo is Renee, you know, and there is no Odo without, and you know he's gone back to the Great Link, and you know it's kind of yeah. like how do you do that? And it's it's the same thing, you know, with Aaron. It's like you can't recast. It's not like um, with Gal Dukat's daughter, where you had three actresses. You know? I know. <laughs> right? You just know. can't. That's how many Malora's are there? Yeah. I know. How did they? How did how did that happen? Or why? I have no idea. Probably they put the makeup on and went. No, never doing this again. You know, mm-hmm. I will. I will tell you from experience what happened. We had a recurring character on our show. You know, who we, who we booked. You know, on an episode by episode basis, and they were fantastic. And for the second season, we went back, and they wanted a crazy amount of money, right? You know, but they're in prosthetics, and 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 I, we're like, well, guys, you know, you're not getting this. You're not one of the leads, and you know, we really would love to use you. And my. My my writer's assistant is back there. He said, "Well, you know, they had three Zials, so it's like you just recast her." And I'm like, "You know what? That's exactly what we're gonna do." And we did a session, and we found some fantastic actors. And I feel terrible that we recasting this girl who I loved, but um, 
you know, it's just like, you know, she don't have the budget, you know? Yeah. And it, they were deluded. They were like, well, you know, she should be, you know, paid with, you know, number one on the call sheets. Like, well, but she's number 14 on the call sheets. Like, but, come on. But you know what? It may have just been that she was claustrophobic and went, I'll name a number that they'll never pay. Yeah, that's and that's true. my there are way. There a million other reasons why. It, yeah. that, because I'll tell you, I don't, if they had wanted to put me again as a Cardassian, my call time was 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. And everyone else came in at seven, and I was done about eight, I guess. I, I, at the end of the day, I started to go nuts. I think that was my twenty-hour hour day. Mm-hmm. I started to go nuts, mm-hmm. literally. Right. So if you're claustrophobic, and I am, oh my God, yeah. it's the nose piece. It's your nose being covered, right. and you blow out, and there's air coming and back at all. you. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yeah. Oh. Well, I mean, that's you know what... prosthetics. Have you worn prosthetics? I, I have. Yeah. Yeah. So you know. Yeah, we lost an actor the second season of Andromeda who was in like full prosthetic uh, about a third of the way through our twenty-two episode run. Like he just flipped out. Like he just could not come in and sit in the chair anymore. Like, and he was just gone out. He never came back. It was like now, if it, an actor does that, yeah, you you, you know you something's know wrong they, with the process. They don't. Just, they don't want to do that. Yes, <laughs> they that's really exactly don't right. want to do that. Yeah. That's, no, that's it's rough. Yeah. I mean, even Michael, when he was on the show, I mean, he says, after seven years on Next Gen, I'm like done doing prosthetics. There's no way I'm doing this again. So it's like, how do they get you to do Deep Space Nine? It's like, they paid me a <laughs> lot of money. <laughs> and they cut down his time in the chair. Yeah. Right. right. It, you know, they could. Yeah. They, they, they made it work. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, your time in the chair right now. Oh is God, up. yeah, that's right. Okay, well, uh, listen, this went was like that. It yeah. did. I did. I was, was so much more we could talk to you about, but we'll have to have you come back. Sounds if good. You're, if you thank you so much for joining us. I that loved was it. Great, and uh, thank you, audience. <laughs> thank you, audience, for joining us for uh, and all the ships at sea. <laughs> Glorious Trexperts. If you're a fan of this podcast, you may want to check out Electric Surge's other podcasts, like the Four Thirty Movie every Friday, Rebel and the Rogue, Star Wars podcast every Tuesday, and Best Movies Never Made. My favorite every other Monday, next to our your favorite. Well, your my favorite. favorite. We were your favorite. I, I am. I, you're my my <laughs> fir- my first in my heart. So uh, you can always uh, watch uh, our video podcasts of your favorite Electric Surge podcast on the Electric Now channel. Or so download the Stir or my favorite the Stir Zumo or TV apps or the Electric Now app coming soon to your favorite um, app store. And uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, which I can't imagine you wouldn't have because we had a most delightful guest, is uh, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. So uh, you have to do that because this was a five-star podcast, if ever I've heard one. And uh, finally, a very special thanks to our sound engineer, Bill Ritter. Hey, Bill. Good show, huh? Love it. Really great. Yeah. And, you know, are you watching Deep Space Nine on MeTV? Because I know that's how you watch your episodes. Yes, I am. Yeah. Who's your favorite actor? Who's your favorite character? I love Major Gear. Okay. That's a good Fantastic. answer. answer. And, uh, <laughs> and thank God. you to everyone. Who no pressure, Bill. Including producer Natalie Miscali. I won't ask her because I know she's not watching it because it has Star Trek in the title. And, of course, uh, Dean Devlin, without whom the show would not be possible. So until next week, uh, keep on uh, trekking ingloriously, of course. Shh. Engage.
This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.